0: Well, good morning, and really glad to see you all here again this morning. Um, We have another great opportunity just to jump into God's Word. We are in John chapter 11, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it there. John chapter 11. And today, we are going to look at the seventh of seven miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performs as recorded in John's Gospel. Now, if you've been with us all through last year, little by little, we walked through the first 10 chapters of the Gospel of John. And I had told you back then that there are seven miracles that Jesus performs. And they're very significant because the purpose of the Gospel of John, as is stated in the second to last chapter, is, is that the people, the reader of the Gospel, would be able to believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have life through his name. So really John's gospel is written to present Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and that we would believe that. It's really this theme of believing in him. And so these seven different miracles that Jesus performs as as the Holy Spirit inspired John to write them down, specifically chose these seven to record in this gospel because they all have something to do with our salvation experience. And just a very brief review. The very first one came in John chapter 2 where Jesus turns the water to wine and we learned about how salvation represents a transformed life. Water is not wine, wine is not water. It's an entirely different substance. It doesn't change naturally. It's a supernatural change from one substance to another, just like your life in Christ when you receive him is a supernatural change from your previous existence to your life in Christ. The second thing we saw in John chapter 4 where there was a nobleman who had a son that was sick and he was healed by faith, and we see that salvation comes as a result of that kind of faith, believing Jesus at his word, even when you don't understand the circumstances. The third one was in John chapter 5. There's a story of a lame man uh, laying beside the pool at Bethesda, and we found that, that salvation is by grace, as, as then ultimately Jesus Christ gives to him the gift of being able to be healed, and he didn't have to wait for the angel stirring the water and some other man placing him down in the water. That was what that miracle was all about. In John chapter 6, the center one, the, the number four of the seven, the pivotal miracle, the one that's right in the middle is Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, and in that miracle, we really learned about our responsibility in salvation the idea of taking the bread from jesus and giving it to the multitudes we call that discipleship and that's a really important thing and and continuing on in john chapter 6 there's a story of the storms in the sea and jesus christ is able to to rule over the elements of nature and he calms the sea and we realize at that time that when we receive christ into our lives he brings peace into our lives just like he's able to bring peace to the elements of nature The last one that we saw before this one is in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And we saw back then how salvation gives us vision. It gives us spiritual insight. It gives us the the ability to see things that we otherwise could not have seen in the natural life that we were given originally. And this seventh one is in John chapter 11. It is a man who is a close personal friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is Lazarus, and he dies, and Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. And the lesson that we learn concerning our salvation is that salvation in Jesus Christ gives us new life. It gives us new life. So that's what we see. And this last point is brought to our attention. Obviously, he's raising Lazarus from the dead. It takes place at a funeral. He's a close personal friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and this story is given to us as if, the way we think about funerals anyway, as if the Lord Jesus Christ is going to preach Lazarus' funeral. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we go to funerals, and typically there's some minister that stands up and shares some words of comfort and some thoughts, and I mean, what would Jesus say at a funeral? You ever think about that? I mean, what would Jesus emphasize if he was standing alongside the grave of somebody that he knew? What would he talk about? Well, we're going to see very clearly today, and, and I'm just going to give you the end before we get started. He, he talks about faith. <laughs> he talks about faith, and that's our title for today's message, Faith at a funeral. You know, I love that last song we just sang, it is well with my soul, right? And it says that through the storms I am held. And sometimes in our lives, maybe there's no storm greater than when we lose a loved one. And some of you may be going through that right now. Some of you may have just recently had to bury a close personal friend or a loved one or a family member Some of you just recall many years ago when that happened, and it still affects you deeply. And and I want you to understand that, as the Bible describes it, physical death is never the end. Physical death is nothing more than the passing from this life to the next. And so the obvious question that people typically have, especially at a funeral, is, what is next? What does wait for us on the other side? Anything? And and so, we think about that maybe more frequently than ever at the time of a funeral. And obviously, what waits for us on the other side, there's two answers, right? There's two places. And the Bible makes that very clear. And depending on your faith, the theme of Jesus' message today, depending on your faith determines which of those two places a person goes when physical life is over. And so, what we see and what we see all through the Scripture, but most certainly emphasized in John's Gospel, is that the single most important issue that you will ever face in all of your life is your faith. There's no question about it. I don't care what your profession is. I don't care what your hobbies are. I don't care what your personality is like. I don't care about your circumstances in life. I don't care about your socioeconomic levels and influences. The most important issue that any of us will ever face in all our life is our faith. And the reason is, is that there's only one sin, and you've got to listen to me. There's only one sin that ever sends anybody to hell, and that sin is the sin of unbelief. It's the only sin. Because if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and we'll look at that today, if you do that, every other sin that you may have committed in your life is forgiven immediately. The only sin that can't be forgiven is the sin of not choosing to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he makes this issue the focal issue at the funeral of his friend Lazarus. So in our story, what we're going to see are three specific, different, unique kinds or types of faith, and we're going to take them in the order in which they're given in the text, okay so before we do that let's just go to the lord and let's pray now heavenly father i I do pray that you'd speak to us but but i guess the first thing that i think about is in a crowd this size certainly there's people who today or in this very recent past are are mourning the loss of people they love and and lord my first prayer is just for comfort I, i do pray that you would Come alongside him in a very real way and wrap your loving arms around him and let him know how much you love him. I do pray, Lord, that you would give us all strength to be able to stand in times when our knees are weak and we don't know how we're going to carry on. I do pray that you would strengthen our faith. I believe, Lord, that you want to speak to us today and, and, I, and I pray that you would strengthen our faith to the point where we can see and live and focus on things beyond this physical life. And Lord, my prayer ultimately through all this is that you would change us. That you would change us forever. Not just for this minute, not for this hour, but the things that you would speak to our hearts today would be things that would never allow us to see things or to behave the same way we've ever behaved before. But they will trust you in new and fresh ways that we will have new life in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us that much, and I pray that you will use your word now. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, we're going to jump into the first one, and we're going to jump in at verse 23 because we did the first 22 verses last time. Let me give you a very brief overview of the first 22 verses. As I'd mentioned, we have this story with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, brother and two sisters. They're a family. They're all close, personal friends with the Lord Jesus Christ. We made the association. They had a personal relationship with Jesus. If you know him as your Savior, you too have a personal relationship with Jesus. This story can apply to you. Lazarus is sick. It's not looking good for Lazarus. Mary sends word to Jesus. Jesus is not in bethany where they are that's like a suburb of jerusalem but he's on the other side of the river jordan he's he's a couple of days journey at least away she sends word to jesus and say hey lazarus the one who you love is sick when jesus immediately gets the word that his dear personal friend lazarus is sick what do you think he does he stays put for two more days he doesn't move a foot he stays right there. He doesn't pack his bags. He doesn't leave immediately. He doesn't run to his aid, but he stays gone for two more days. It's an amazing situation. We looked at it in detail last time. By the time Jesus finally does return to the town, he's approaching Bethany. He finds that Lazarus is already dead. In fact, he's been in the grave for four days. And so Martha goes out and she sees Jesus coming off at a distance and she runs out to go meet him. He hasn't actually entered the town yet and she goes out to meet Jesus as he approaches and in verse 21 she says, Lord, if you had just been here, uh, if you have just been here, my brother Lazarus, he, he wouldn't have had to die. And that's a very natural response. But then she comes back in the very next verse 22 and she says, but I know that whatever you ask of God, he'll do it. He'll do it. And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 23. And the first kind of faith that we're going to see is what we're calling saving faith. Saving faith. Let's read together starting in verse 23 to verse 27. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So Jesus responds to her. She says, I know that whatever you ask the Father, he will do it. And Jesus makes an amazing statement, thy brother shall rise again. Now, she's not sure, she believes that, but she's not sure of the timeline. She says, look, I know there's a great resurrection at the end of time. Listen, these are believing Jewish people. They were raised with, the, with Moses and the law. She said, I know there'll be a resurrection of the just at the end. And I know my brother was a believer. I know that he'll be fine at the end. And Jesus reminds her and he says, listen, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not that one day he will raise. I am life. I am the resurrection. I am here. And she's not quite getting it. And notice in verses 25 and 26, because Jesus really sets the theme. I mean, this thing is as clear as it can be. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Can you hear the theme? Believe, believe, believe. Do you? And she responds in verse 27, and she says, Yeah, Lord, I believe. You see, the issue... In talking about belief, you've got to understand this, and we'll elaborate more a little later. It's not faith alone. It's not just, I have faith. But as it's very clearly stated by the Lord Jesus here in verse 25 and verse 26, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that your faith is in the right thing. There's a lot of people in this world that have faith. People believe all kinds of things. Faith alone does not save us. It is not necessarily saving faith unless that faith is placed in the right thing. It is the object of our faith that actually causes something to change. So the question that each and every one of us must, absolutely must, no exceptions whatsoever, each and every one of us in our life must address this question. What are you going to do? With the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the advantage, friends. We're born in this country where it's okay to believe in Jesus. It's very natural, it's very normal. There's a ton of us that do it. There's a lot of people who are born in countries all around the world that it's a very foreign concept for them to believe in Jesus Christ. As God Almighty, who came to earth in the flesh, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day, ascended to the Father, ever to rule and reign from on high. Many cultures and many peoples are raised in countries and cultures and religious backgrounds that that is just strange. That is just foreign. I'm here to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, it matters not where you were born. It matters not where you come from. It matters not what your culture was. It matters not how you reason things out. At the end of the day, each and every human being on planet earth that has ever breathed free air has to come to terms with the one and only most important question in all of the universe and that is what will you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? It is not, well, we call him Buddha, you call him Jesus, it's all the same. We call him Allah, you call him Jehovah, it's all the same. It is not the same. It is not the same. And the eyes of the Lord search to and fro to find anybody with a heart who's perfect toward Him. And Jesus is the light of the whole world. He enlightens every man that ever comes into the whole world. And God is putting forth His revelation in nature. He's putting forth His revelation in our conscience. He puts forth His revelation in His Word most specifically. And He absolutely is crying out for every man, woman, boy, and girl to surrender their heart and their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ alone. You can be rich and famous, you can be talented, you can be powerful, you can be none of that. If you don't deal with this, it's bad for you. It's bad for you. This is what Jesus emphasizes. He shows up. His friend, Lazarus, has been dead four days. In fact, when he got the word, he intentionally stayed away a couple of days because he's got a plan that the others hadn't figured out yet, but he knows. He knows. What are you going to do with the Lord Jesus? And she She passed the test. Good for Martha. She understood. Yay, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the one who was prophesied to come, the Son of God, who would come and save the world from our sins and to set up your kingdom on this planet. I believe that. She confesses it, and that's all that matters. Whatever else happens in Martha's life doesn't matter compared to this decision. And friends, whatever else happens in your life, whether good or bad, doesn't matter in comparison to this decision. This is the one decision of all time. And never, ever is it more apparent, never is it more evident than at a funeral, than at a funeral. So when people pass and we have funerals and people like myself stand up and we share the gospel at funerals, sometimes there would be those who would feel that's a bit insensitive. I want you to understand that's exactly what God wants people to hear because never are your minds more tuned into eternity, which is way more important than the here and now. Give me some other references on how important this is. I'm going to run through a few of them with you. In Acts chapter 16, we have the story of the apostle Paul, and he'd been in jail in a city called Philippi. And God does a miracle and tears down the jail cells, and everybody gets to run free. And the Philippian jailer, who was given the charge to take care of Paul and Silas and all the others, runs in. And he's about to kill himself because he realizes that he'll be killed as a result of being on his watch when all the prisoners ran free. And he runs in and he cries out to Paul and Silas, who had been singing praises to God from the prison cell, and it says in Acts 16, 30 and 31, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the ultimate question, isn't it? And maybe you're here today and you're wondering, what do I have to do to be saved? Well, the Bible has the exact place right here. And they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That's all you got to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just believe. Don't just be religious. Don't just do good deeds. Those are all fine things. Believe on the, on the right object of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. A few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 8, there's a story where one of the first deacons of the Jerusalem church, his name is Philip, is kind of miraculously sent out into the countryside and, and he comes along this eunuch who's an Ethiopian and he's on his way back to North Africa And uh, he's reading the scriptures from the book of Isaiah, and he kind of comes up alongside him, and he hears what he's reading, and and he asks him if he knows what he's talking, if he he, he understands what he reads. And and the eunuch says, I don't really understand. I need somebody to explain it to me. And we'll pick up the story in Acts 8.35. It says, and Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him general religion. Of course not. He preached unto him Jesus Christ. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, that verse 37 is a really important verse because what hinders anybody from being baptized scripturally? We had a baptism last week. And the only criteria for biblical baptism is found in verse number 37. By the way, one of the reasons why we use the old King James Bible is because it records that verse. Some people might use a New International Version, for example. It totally, that verse doesn't even appear in a New International Version. A New International Version would, you'd say, what hinders me to be baptized? Well, according to an NIV, nothing. (laughs) Nothing hinders you. No, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, as a result of your saving faith, sure, we'll baptize you. The water of baptism doesn't save you. It's just what you do after you've already been saved, and that's an important thing. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, Therefore, having been justified, how? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. You ever talk to somebody who's maybe in their last days of their physical life, maybe they're in a hospital bed and, 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 and the question that you want to get around to talking about is, do you have, have you made peace with God? In other words, are you okay? Are, are you saved? And the way you do that is that you're justified by faith. Faith is the issue, guys. Go a little further down in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, in other words, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, he's your Lord. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen. Ask yourself this question. Nobody's gonna call on you. You don't gotta stand up. You ain't gotta go nowhere. Nobody's gonna bug you. Just ask yourself honestly this question. Be, be man or woman enough to, to consider this question for yourself. God forbid if something happened to you today, and your physical life ended before nightfall, are you 100% sure that you'd have a home with God in heaven? Are you sure? How, How could you be sure? You see, you could ask it this way. Do you want life after death? If I said, raise your hand, who wants life after death? I'd be shocked if somebody didn't raise their hand, unless you want to just be a joker, you know. Everybody wants that. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. People just don't necessarily want to submit their hearts and their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is what He said He offers. Do I could ask it this way: same question. Do you have saving faith, like Martha? Jesus said, "I am the resurrection." Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Although physical death for these bodies that we live in for a period of time is inevitable, there's no getting around it. It's not the end. There's more out there. There's more out there. In order to get in on that, by the way, the Bible says you must be in Christ. In Christ. Don't get confused, please. Please don't confuse what I'm trying to tell you because here's the next point and the second kind of faith I want to describe to you that comes out of this text. We're calling it dead faith. We saw saving faith. Now we're going to see dead faith. Let's start in verse 28. So Martha's done. She passed the test. Verse 27, awesome. The story's going to shift. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, the master has come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth to the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Just like Martha. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, And the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, the last miracle, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave was a cave and a stone lay upon it Let's stop there so mary and the jews are mourning the loss of lazarus it's it's a natural response it's the exact same initial response that mary gives the exact same wording as recorded that martha gave back in verse number 21 and if you go down to verse 37 the jews in their own way basically said the very same thing if you would just been here couldn't couldn't you have stopped this And so it is a natural response. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right response, though. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right response. You see, many people believe in God, but that's not enough. Believing in God is not saving faith. You need to understand that. In the book of James, chapter number 2 and verse number 19, it says this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble thou believest that there is one god in in theological circles we call that monotheism we believe there's one god there's not many gods like the greeks would have had many many gods or the romans would have had many many gods no we don't believe that we believe there is one and only one god that covers all of judaism that covers all of islam That covers Catholicism. That covers all these giant world religions. Monotheism. The devils believe that, by the way. And they fear and tremble before that. But that doesn't mean they're saved. Uh, Let me let you in on something. Devils ain't going to heaven. Monotheism in of itself being religious and believing that there is one God, that's not enough. Believing in God isn't enough. There is such a thing as dead faith. James chapter 2, just a couple of verses prior, verse 17 says this Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So, we would call this intellectual acknowledgement that there is a God. In other words, you, you give heed to the idea yes, I'm not an atheist. I believe there is some supernatural power out there. What he's called, what he's like, how he works, I don't know. In theological circles, we might call that person a deist. They believe in a deity. They have no idea what it is. And they certainly don't have a personal relationship with him. But that is an intellectual acknowledgement that there is a God. Can I tell you that's not enough? That's not enough. Uh, Just not being an atheist is not enough to ensure that you would have a home in heaven after this physical life is over. There has got to be some connection to your daily life and your actions that demonstrate that you have a personal relationship with a risen Savior. It's your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior it's not enough to just believe that Jesus Christ died on the sins for the sins of the whole world. You have to make it your very own. You have to receive it personally as payment for your individual personal contribution to the sins that nailed him to the cross. And if that doesn't happen, then you're not saved. And it says very clearly in James 2 as we saw that if your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior is not accompanied by a life that takes action, based on the faith that you profess, you're deceived. You're deceived. We saw at the first of January when I introduced to this church what I believe is God's theme for us for the year 2013. And I went to this verse in James 1 verse 22, where it says, "But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Notice, deceiving your own selves." So maybe you're here, and maybe you're religious, and you definitely believe that there is one God, and you may even believe that Jesus Christ died on the sins, died on the cross for the sins of the world, but you don't really have, you don't understand what it means to have a personal, living, daily relationship with Him. If that happens to be you, and I have no idea if it is or it is not, but if it happens to be you, there's a chance you're deceived. You may be deceiving your own self because you say that you have some faith, but somehow or another that faith never translates into a life that demonstrates some sort of action. So let's go back to Mary and the Jews. Let's go back to our story. Here's a the problem. They certainly believed in God. They, these are believing Jews. Th- these are people who are believers. There's no doubt about it, but somehow their faith in God did not translate into action at the funeral of Lazarus. Somehow their faith in God couldn't be applied in a way that demonstrated that they really believed what God has to say. Their faith had no application at a funeral. Listen, I know these are hard times. I know... People are distraught when they lose people they love. I don't mean to make light of that. I'm just pointing out to you what Jesus is teaching us. What do we see in this text? What does the inspired word of God reveal to us as a result of these circumstances here at this place? I mean, do you ever think of that? Does your faith find its place at a funeral? When it's, your, when it's somebody that you love, not just the funeral of a friend who, who had somebody that they lost. Does it find a place? Does it have some action? Does it make a difference? So Jesus shows up on the scene. And in verse 33, Jesus saw her weeping and he saw the Jews weeping also. So I asked the question, why do we weep at funerals? Well, there's some obvious things. We're sad, of course. Maybe we weep because... We think about the person who died. We think that their life is over, and that's sad. And sometimes we weep because maybe not so much for that person, because maybe we know they're saved and they're okay, but we weep for ourselves, and we miss them, and and we think about this life here and now, and what will we do without them? And we're focusing kind of on the temporal. And so I want to draw your attention to Jesus' reaction to their weeping. Because it says very clearly, if we look here, it says in verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, what did he do? He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And in verse 38, virtually the same thing. Again, they're, they're still wondering, they're doubting. Couldn't you have fixed this? It's so final. It's over. It's done. And in verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, It's as though he sees his friends, these people who have believed in Jehovah God, these people who ought to know better, and yes, it's a tragedy, but he's trying to tell them, I am the solution. You don't understand. I am standing here in your midst, and they're weeping and they're mourning as though this life is all there is. And and so the Savior, Jesus himself, he he sees this among people that he loves, and and he sees us weeping, and he's like, (laughs) oh. Why? Why won't they just believe me? Why won't they just put into practice the things that we've been talking about? It bothers me. It troubles me. That's his message. There's reasons why we weep. We're emotional creatures. It's not wrong. Don't get me me wrong. But it says in verse 35 that Jesus wept which, by the way, is the shortest verse in all the Bible. So, like, if you guys have to ever memorize Scripture and somebody says, quote a verse, your best friend is John eleven thirty five. remember that. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Well, let me tell you what he didn't weep for. He did not, I promise you, friends, think about it. Jesus did not weep for the loss of, of Lazarus. Amen? Did he not know what he was about to do in a minute? I mean, 60 seconds from now, he's he's back with us, guys. No problem. I got this. He's not weeping for the loss of Lazarus like it's the end of his life. He's not weeping because, oh my, what will we all do without him? Because he's coming back. Right? He's not weeping about any of those things. He's weeping because everybody else's lack of faith in him. He's weeping for their unbelief. That's the message over and over when he talked to Martha. He that believes in me, that believes in me. Do you believe that? Yes, I believe that. Believe, believe, believe over and over again in this passage. It is the theme. It's what he's trying to teach us. There's no bigger issue going on here. It's all about our faith. That's what it's about. If you were with us last week, I made reference to a story, and you don't need to turn there, but it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 to 23, and King David had committed that sin with Bathsheba, and the prophecy that went on actually was that he would lose a child, and he did, and the child that was born um, was very sick, and while the child was very sick, David, he wept and he fasted, and, and he prayed to God like crazy for the child, and when he got word that the child actually died, he got up. He washed himself, he put on some other clothes, he, he, he got something to eat, he went into the temple, and he worshiped God. And the Jews that were around him saying, man, how's that possible? Now the kid's dead, and now you're getting up like, let's just move on. And he said, yeah, don't you get it? Because when he was sick, <laughs> I prayed like crazy that God would heal him and he'd stay with us. But you know what? Now it's over. It's over. And there's no coming back from that. And so I'm okay with the fact that the child is in God's hands. The child's okay. So I'm going to get up. I'm going to wash off. I'm going to get something to eat. I'm going to move on. Now, it doesn't, he's not careless. He's not thoughtless. He's not uncaring, no doubt. He had faith. He had faith. Do you know that there's only one other time in all of Scripture that records that Jesus Christ wept, there is one other time it's in Luke chapter 19. And this is where Jesus Christ is about to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and the palm branches are thrown down and he is going to be uh, considered, he's going to be declared as the king of the Jews. This is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem near the end of his earthly ministry. And you know what? The Jews just didn't even recognize who he was. All of these items were prophesied through the Old Testament and Jesus had proved them for three years of ministry and he enters into Jerusalem in a way that should have been Understood, and they just didn't get it and in luke 19 it records how jesus wept over jerusalem why because they didn't believe in him because they didn't believe in him it's the exact same theme it's the only time you ever see jesus weeping because that's all the only thing that matters let me remind you about mark chapter 8 verses 36 and 37 for what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen, if you don't put your personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and enter into a personal, living relationship with Him, then all of this world's riches and gain that you might acquire as a result of your very hard work and dedication that you would have earned every day of your life mean Nothing. And by the way, if you do believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you secure your eternity in heaven with Him, then nothing else in this world, whether it be great wealth or great poverty, nothing else matters either. Do you get that? Nothing compares to this subject. This is the issue. I am the resurrection and the life. And so there's one last kind of faith, and that's living faith. We've seen saving faith and dead faith. Now now we're introduced to living faith. It's going to start in verse number 39. Let's read from there. Jesus saith, Take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Do you hear the theme, believe, believe, believe? And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. So there is a dead faith. It's just an intellectual acknowledgement that there probably is some God out there, but I don't really have any connection to it. Too many people in this world have that kind of a faith. They're religious, but you know what? Hell is going to be full of people who are believers. They just didn't believe the right thing. And there is a saving faith, the one that ensures that you gain eternal life. It is your personal confession of sin and acceptance of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you have that today? That's important. But let me tell you, a lot of people who have that stop there. Thank you, Jesus, for the fire insurance card. And they don't allow their faith to continue to be a part of their daily lives. You see, they receive the free gift of eternal life, and then somehow they return back to normal life, like everybody else in this world. And then here we have, starting in verse 39 the story shifts back to Martha. Martha's the one who confessed Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior, and so there's another step for Martha. She understands she has saving faith, but she needs to have living faith, and that's what Jesus is dealing with here because this faith needs to be active beyond the moment of personal salvation. So he says, let's go to the tomb and take the stone away, so it's like a cave, you know, it's not like a hole in the ground, it's like a cave with a big rock in front of it, so take the rock away, and Martha says, Lord, don't, don't do that, because by now, you know, and it's the famous verse, Lordy stinketh, you know, which, by the way, you guys, I'm helping you today, I'm here, I'm here to tell you, you want to quote Bible verses, this is another one, okay, so you're going to school, and that dude sitting next to you is rank, right, and so you say, Lord, he stinketh. And somebody, you know, your teacher wants to rebuke you or whatever. And he's like, I'm just quoting the Bible. So, you know, you can do that. And, you know, the separation of church and state, you can't get in trouble for that, I promise. So there you go. That all comes from the fact that the Bible word is corruption. We would say decay, decomposition, sets in on the fourth day. Uh, That's why Jesus, by the way, was raised from the dead on the third day. And if you took the time and looked in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, chapter number 13, okay, there's some references that say very clearly that although he died and he was in the grave, that corruption never found him. Okay, Corruption did not set in the body of Jesus Christ because he was raised on the third day. Lazarus made it to the fourth day. And so she fears that there's going to, you know, have this decay. And in other words, it's, it's too late. And so Martha believed, remember, early on, that her brother Lazarus would raise eventually at the end. But she obviously didn't have faith that he would raise right now. And this is where Jesus is stepping in. He's like, okay, saving faith, awesome, great, first step, very important. What about living faith? Because I am the resurrection and the life. I am here right now. And so we need to have faith that believes that God can do miraculous things in our lives today. Not just eventually. Not just I believe in God and eventually it's going to be okay. He can change circumstances of life today. And believe Him for that. That's a living faith. It continues to be active beyond that moment of, of, of personal salvation. And so she, he reminds her and he says in verse 40, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? And you can go back all the way to verse number four where he said that, hey, this sickness isn't unto death, but for the glory of God. And we learned back then that this idea of God's glory is the manifestation of God. It's kind of like the, God's clothing. Whenever God puts on some demonstrated physically manifest or demonstrated way to prove God is God. God does God things. That's his glory. His glory is being made manifest. It's being displayed to all the earth. Didn't I tell you you would see my glory? You would see me do God things. And that's what he's saying because he's going to raise him from the dead. That's a God thing by the way. And so he's going to do that. Listen. This is good. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's not just the resurrection, He's also the life. We believe in Jesus with saving faith that one day, eventually, we will be raised to be with Him in eternity. He is the resurrection, amen. He's also the life today, He's more than just the resurrection. In John 14, 6, a verse very familiar to many of you, it says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and say it with me, the life. John chapter 10 and verse number 10 The thief thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have, say it with me, life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's here and now. That's a life of faith. That's a life that God uses to change your circumstances. Last week we spent some time and talked about Thomas around verse 16 where he thought that when Jesus said, let's go back to Lazarus and Bethany near Jerusalem, that he thought that meant this is our death wish. We're signing off on our own death certificate. Let's, let's just go and die with the Savior. I guess that's what he wants us to do. And he was sincere about it. Listen, that, that, that shows courage of his conviction. But last week when we saw that, we saw how, hey, what if we don't just necessarily surrender to the fact that, hey, if I got to die for Jesus... I will. And that's nothing to scoff at, by the way. But what if we don't just surrender to that? What if we say, let's believe him to do miracles and let's forge ahead fearlessly to see him change this world by his power. And if by chance it happens that it don't work out and our physical life comes to an end, well then, okay, I'm ready to die because really for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul said. And so he said, let's do that. And and really... That's kind of what we see here because a living faith produces new life. (laughs) To have that kind of faith, as in the case of Lazarus, it produces new life. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have. So in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice, for therein, the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed, here's the phrase, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just, the just don't, does not just mean the saved. The people who will walk righteously, the people who will walk with God, the people who are the just, the Spirit-filled Christians who will walk with him will walk. If you're walking with him, you are walking by faith. That's what he's trying to say. And so your walk of faith is one step at a time. It's a step of faith and another step of faith and another step of faith. As though I'm walking from faith to faith to faith. See that? Step by step one step at a time. It's living. It's active. It's daily. That's how it works. How does that literally play out? How do I do that? Do I just believe really hard? It's not that hard. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you're doing good. You're here today. We're studying God's word. God's word speaks to our hearts. As God's word speaks to our hearts and we exercise our faith in God's Word as it speaks. And one step at a time, we take a step, not based on our emotions, not based on our circumstances, not based on our physical vision, not based on others' opinions. We take the step, the very next step of our lives. We take that step based only on what God's Word says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When God's Word controls your steps, you're walking from faith to faith. You have living faith. In our discipleship lessons, we talk about what it means to be filled with God's Spirit. And in the midst of that lesson, we refer to a couple of. One of my favorite points in that lesson is where we compare Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we have the command Be ye filled. With the Spirit, and when that when we do that, there's some results in our lives. Speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. You make the parallel passage in Colossians chapter three with the same exact results. Okay, encouraging, admonishing one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. But in Colossians chapter three, it doesn't say be filled with the Spirit. It says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we put those together, and we say being filled with God's Spirit is letting God's Word dwell in us richly. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God from faith to faith, step by step, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not some wild experience it's not some miraculous sign and wonder it is a literal daily submission we die to ourselves we live unto him we surrender we yield ourselves to him that's how it works so how's that going to happen well first off you got to study the scriptures You've got to spend time personally studying what does God say. If you don't know what he says, you can't possibly know what to do. We offer so many ways for you to do that here. Discipleship is a word we use a lot, but really it's just an opportunity for you to study and to learn. If you haven't taken advantage of that, please do. You can sign up in your little connection card there. We'll help you. There's a desk out in the lobby. They'll help you. Do that. Do that. I mean, learn what God says. Because the Bible says that the Scripture itself is the mind of Christ. That's what the Bible says. We have the mind of Christ, and the context is, in 1 Corinthians, where it says that, chapter 2, the Bible. It's the Scripture. But you see, it's not enough just to say, yeah, bless God, I got me the mind of Christ. Sits on the dashboard of my car six days a week. No, we have to let his mind work in and through our mind. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. See, that's how that thing works out. So how do we make that connection? How does what God says work through my faith to be lived out in my life daily? Well, I think it's very clear as we see in our story. Your faith comes alive. And you've got to get this. Guys, you've got to get this. This has burdened me for years. Your faith comes alive through prayer. And that's what Jesus does next. Before we look at that, notice this. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, by the way, here's his will. He heareth us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Is there any wiggle room in there? This is the confidence. This is the absolute assurance. I am confident. I, this is for sure. If I ask anything that is in accordance with His will, you've got to know the Scriptures. We know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know He's going to do it. That's what it says. Well, we're afraid Listen, y'all, we're afraid to believe that. We're afraid to believe that if we beg God to do what God said He would do, that maybe He won't do it and we'll be like, oh, "I look like a chump." God's looking for somebody with enough faith and to put it into action by praying and begging him to do it. Mark 11:24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Lord, I don't really think you're going to do this, but you know I'm supposed to pray, so <sighs> please do all that stuff on that prayer list. Amen. Believe. Believing prayer. So Jesus, Jesus launches out in prayer, verse 41, 42, and he says, Look, Lord. Father, I I know you hear me. I know you know this. And actually, I'm praying for their sakes, okay? They need to hear me say this so that when you do it, they know that it's the connection, okay? And he's laying out the example for us. He's showing us what we are to do. And immediately after Jesus prays, we see supernatural results a man who was 4 days in the grave hops out he's still all bound with the grave clothes how did he, did he did he levitate out i don't know he couldn't walk i mean you know did he did did they pull did he spin out like a top i don't know but he was alive I know that. He was alive. Martha said back in verse 22, I know whatever you ask the Father, He'll do it. I don't know for sure, but I got I to wonder, I got to bet, man, that maybe Martha's sitting there like, oh my goodness. <laughs> he really did it. Kind of makes you wonder about what she said back in verse 22. Kind of makes me wonder about stuff we say. We, say, we know some stuff, y'all. We know some stuff. And we say the right things a lot. And that's good, good. Say, better than saying the wrong things. Do you really believe it? Because the most important issue in your life is faith, Yes, saving faith. Without that, nothing even gets on square one. But my goodness, it doesn't stop there. It has to be a living, daily faith. And never is it more obvious than in a funeral or let me just say during any time of great difficulty, during any time of great struggle and tragedy, have faith. I mean, what do you really want for your life? This is our last question. What do you really want? for your life you say i believe in god that is enough leave me alone okay it's your funeral you say look i believe that jesus christ is my personal savior i have prayed to receive him as my lord and my savior on such and such a time in my life i can remember when that happened and you know what that's enough for me i'm just glad i'm in man can I tell you that if that's you, there is no more miserable position to be in because you know that there's more out there, but you're not going for it. The lost guy doesn't know, but you know. You know there's more out there and there's something holding you back and saying you're just going to return to some worldly existence to just kind of get along with everybody else, just like, live like everybody else lives. When Jesus says, Man, you can trust me every single day and your life can be supernatural. But I believe most people truly would say, You know what? I'm saved. Most people in this room would say, I'm saved. And you know what? I'm tired of living a normal life. I'm tired of just getting along and struggling and arguing and murmuring and complaining with everybody else that I know, whether they're saved or they're lost. And not having my life stand out and making any difference any more than anybody else's is. I want to start to exercise my faith. I want to start believing God. And I want to start moving mountains. I want to start believing that God can make a difference in this world through me. And if that's you, I want to invite you to do that today. I want to invite you to just get on your knees and do that. What are you going to do? How are you going to make that happen? I gave you some practical steps. I hope you take these home and look, about them, and pr- look, look them over and pray about them. And think about it. The first thing you've got to do is study God's Word. You have got to get involved in a systematic way to learn and study God's Word. We offer many opportunities for you for that. Typically every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, we have a midweek group that there's something for everybody. Find your group and get involved. And we have personal one-on-one Bible study. We call it discipleship. There's all kind of ways for you to learn and understand what God's Word says. If you don't understand what God's Word says, I promise you it's nobody's fault but your own. Opportunities exist. God died. Jesus Christ went in the grave and rose again to give you the opportunity to know it. He wants you to know it. His Holy Spirit will teach you. You can have a copy. You can read it. You can understand it and you can even have teachers, human beings that will sit down next to you and help you. You've got to study God's word. The next thing is you've got to believe God step by step. Remember that faith to faith to faith? You've got to believe him that as he reveals his word through, uh, through his, his will through his word that he will work in you believe that And then pray, man. I really believe this is our missing element, y'all. I think we're just not getting on our face enough. We believe the right stuff, but we're just kind of waiting around for it to happen. And what if God is also kind of waiting around to see whether you care enough to pray fervently and regularly enough to move mountains and to see things happen in accordance with his will? Because when you do that, I think you will see change. If we go back to our story in verse 45, it says, many of the Jews believed when they saw all the things that happened. You say, Jeff, last week you said seeing is not believing. Yeah, I know, I know. They saw some things happen and so they took it to the next step. Jesus said, again, Thomas is the guy in the story in John chapter 20 and verse 29. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, but check this out, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Y'all haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. Y'all haven't seen anybody resurrected from the dead bodily come out of the grave. I don't know all y'all, but I'm, I'm guessing I'm on safe ground saying that. But you know what? More blessed are you if you believe anyway. That's what Jesus said. And the story ends. This just blows my mind, man. Verse 46. There's people who witnessed all this. Some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They just, evil, wicked, vile, carnal, fleshly, demon-possessed, who knows, people who after all that walk away and say, no thanks, no thanks. Well, he gives you a free will and you have a choice. What are you gonna do? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life and I offer you this free gift. Our life, we are sinners to the core. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. We do sinful things. We blow it. We do, we're stupid. We do it. I am. I'm top of the list. We all are. Your favorite, nicest person you've ever met, your grandma, whoever it is, we're all sinners. Beautiful little baby child in your house that you, I mean, sinner, all of us, every one of us. And we're on a road straight to hell. And Jesus Christ loves us so much. He, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says he died for us. And he gave his perfect sinless life because the wages of sin is death and Jesus didn't have to die but he died for us because he took our sin. And if we would just call upon him, if we would just confess him as Lord, if we would just believe that God raised him from the dead, if we would cry out to him, Lord, forgive me my sins. Be my personal sin. Not just the Savior of the world. Be my Savior. I helped nail you to the cross with my sins. Lord, I confess those to you. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Give me eternal life. I want saving faith today. I want to live in heaven with you. I don't want to go to hell. And if that's you, this is your day. This is the step of faith that comes by hearing God's word. Not the opinions of the people around you. Not your religious tradition or your family. Not other thoughts of the world that are rolling around in your head. God's word says, do it now. You must be born again and I want us to pray together if you'll just bow your heads and pray with me